0: Ultimately, I think that when we connect with something greater than ourselves, uh, we find meaning, and that ultimately life is is about finding meaning and purpose.
1: Welcome to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom a podcast where we provide insights, tips, and inspiration for college students and young professionals so they can make a really successful transition from college life to the professional world and beyond. My name is Andy Malinsky, and I'm your host. I'm also a professor of Organizational Behavior and International Management at Brandeis University's International Business School, where we record and produce this podcast. Uh, Today's guest is Atosa Soltani, uh, who's the founder and board president of Amazon Watch and served as the organization's first executive director for 18 years. Currently, she's the director of global strategy for the Amazon Sacred Headwaters Initiative, working to protect one of the most biodiverse ecosystems on Earth. The initiative is led by an alliance of Amazonian indigenous nations of Ecuador and Peru with support from Fundación Pachamama, Amazon Watch, and the Pachamama Alliance. Uh, Atosa is the uh, Hillary Institute 2013 Global Laureate for Climate Leadership and recipient of the 2014 Hillary Step Prize. She's currently producing her first feature-length documentary film, very cool, titled The Flow. About learning from nature's genius, um, she served on the board of trustees of the Christensen Fund uh, and was board chair of the Christensen Fund for several years. Uh, Tosa, I'm very happy to welcome you to uh, from the dorm room to the board room. Thanks so much for being on.
0: Thank you, Andrew. It's great to be here.
1: Great. So, 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 tell us about about. I just sort of read what you do, but tell us about what you do. What your organization's about uh, to to someone who
0: really doesn't know much about it? So Amazon Watch and also the Sacred Headwaters Initiative uh, works to protect the rainforest in the Amazon basin with indigenous peoples who are the guardians of the forest, the immune system of the forest, and who know best how to protect the forest. So we work in partnership and work in uh, solidarity, uh, both at the regional, local, and global level to basically halt the destruction of their rainforest, to increase levels of protection, to advance land rights and indigenous people's rights to their territories and their way of life and their self-determination and uh, and human rights. And so we are doing advocacy and campaigns and education and and on-the-ground work all together in a holistic way to... Safeguard this vital organ. The Amazon rainforest is a vital organ for our planet. It's um, it generates rainfall and uh, regulates the global climate, and has harbors you know twenty percent of the world's fresh water and a majority of the world's uh, biodiversity. And so, it's an important global treasure. And the survival of humanity depends on the Amazon rainforest. So, our work is really to sound the alarm bells and. Advanced solutions uh, for for protecting the forests.
1: And how did you? I'd love to hear your story of of how you how you got interested in this and how you took such a leadership role. But let's let's actually rewind. Let's rewind to college, where I know some of our listeners are uh, right now, uh, and and some others have you know fairly recently graduated. Where did you go to college? What did you major in? Let's hear a bit about your story.
0: Well, you know, I was an immigrant when I was 13. Uh, we had to leave Iran, um, originally from Iran, and we had to leave in a hurry because of the revolution. And I shipped off to my uncle in Akron, Ohio. And um, so I while we were waiting for our um, you know, family to get reconstituted and get legal status, um, we just had to stay in Akron, Ohio. And so I went to University of Akron I majored initially in computer science because uh, that was you know what I thought I wanted to do, and I had like a you know real nap for math and was a little geeky as a kid and liked to read science and uh, math uh, problems were you know inspiring to me. but then I went to school for computers and realized quickly within a year that that was not for me. computer science was not for me; I was much more too social and too interested in politics and world affairs and and the environment even back then uh, to be in in a you know programming booth all day and so I changed my major pretty much my um, after towards the end of my first year and moved to public policy management which is a new discipline then it was a, a cross between political science and public administration and and so I, I, I did my degree in public policy management and that was uh, really helpful I met I also worked as a secondary minor in Latin American studies and also really was interested and fascinated around economics and so that kind of led me um, through that path
1: interesting and so in, in in what do you remember what it was like as you were graduating college and thinking about uh, the types of jobs that you might try out what were you thinking what was it like and then and then what did you which you eventually do?
0: So, what happens when I changed my major from computer science to um, political science? My first, my first year, end of my first year, I was in mid semester, and and my advisor said, "Well, you can't, you know, res- you can't be full time student on a student visa without being, uh, you know, so many credits. So you have to take something else." And I, the only thing I could take was an internship. So I decided to intern. Well, I, I'll back up and saying my first year in college, I. learned about the Gaia hypothesis, literally almost the first month on campus, the Gaia hypothesis being this theory about the earth being a living system and that being alive, Gaia, the earth as a, you know, biosphere that's basically uh, actually interacting to maintain conditions for life over billions of years and its intelligence as a living system. And so that really like made a huge difference in who i felt i was as a human being you know uh, this immigrant from iran all of a sudden i was a uh, part of gaia this living earth and and political boundaries didn't matter so much it was uh, a awakening moment so right then that was kind of my passion to move into something more practical like uh, political science public policy and and then When I changed my major physically, I had no choice but to take something. And the only thing I could do is an internship. So I interned with um, basically Ohio Citizen Action, which was a public interest group that worked on local laws and statewide laws and legislations around the environment and um, around the environment and um, public policy issues around consumer rights and labor rights and environmental protection. So I started my Uh, first year, end of my first year interning for that organization. And that became where I went for my summer work. And that's where I started to being a canvasser and political activist. And that led to, eventually I went, the whole time I was in college, I was also working for um, Citizen Action. And I went, I did everything from field canvassing and fundraising to political organizing to actually then, running a program that I helped design on energy efficiency and um, for low-income housing. So I worked my way through college and everything that I was learning in school felt like it had some relevance to my work or vice versa. Everything I was learning on my work, I was able to see and and, uh, learn from in the theoretical sense in the classroom. So that kind of got me, like my career started of instantaneously, it was a big load to do work and being full time student full time. But I felt like I wouldn't have traded it for anything else. It made my college work so much more relevant and interesting.
1: So it's interesting when I hear your story. Um, I say I hear the passion, you know, in terms of advocacy, even early on. And but but then even earlier than that, you said that you you majored. You were thinking of majoring in computer science or computers because you liked math and problem solving and 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 then you realize you didn't want to be stuck in a cubicle or that you were more social and want to be out there in the world. Where do you think the fire was lit for you though, in terms of passion about about the causes that you were interested in, you know, a little later in college and then then what's what's passionate to you right now?
0: Well, so, you know, incidentally the revolution in Iran was a real awakening moment. You know, I was a young kid, 12, 13 years old, and everything seemed normal one day. And then the next thing I knew, things were in an upheaval and an uprising. And we were caught in political protests and tear gassing and uh, literally in the middle of um, a revolution. And that experience, my final six months in Iran, was just, you know, basically... A constant upheaval, Um, martial law, school being shut down completely, you know, and I was just old enough to be curious about what was happening. And so I asked a lot of questions and got really curious about kind of political context of where we were. Um, I also, you know, just even before that, if you you go back a couple years before that, my father loved to travel in Iran and we were always traveling on weekends and vacations and we'd spend a lot of time in nature and there's actually a magical rainforest, cloud forest in in the mountains of Iran where we have a lot of family gatherings and picnics. It was like my favorite place. It's the place I came alive. So I would say the seed of loving the forest and loving the earth and nature, being curious about you know, the magic and mystery of, of the natural world started as a young child in the in the mountains, in the forests, in the cloud forests of, of northern Iran. And then the revolution, I think, really sparked my curiosity about the political system. And so maybe that's why I was curious. And of course, I moved to the States at a time where the hostage crisis was happening and there was a lot of, you know, a, basically a lot of uh, Iranians were not regarded well or popular or even, you know, treated well in places like Akron, Ohio. So I really connected to the international students and the global global issues as, a, as almost a way of making sense of the world. And that attempt to make sense kind of led me to this path of discovering, wow, you know, yes, political Boundaries are important, but there is a living system that supports life on this earth. And literally my first week in college, I met um, a woman who became my best friend. And she was, um, her family had roots in Peru, although she was American. And she was studying biology. And she's she's the one who first told me about the Amazon rainforest. And it's like, I don't know, like it's like a big reveal for me when, uh, between learning about Gaia and learning about the rainforest. Uh, something sparked in me, and I decided, "Wow, this is like a realm to explore. What a fascinating realm to explore! Some 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 amazing teachings right here." And and then that became those the you know that calling that became a calling, and I decided to follow that path of my calling. And all along the way, I think you know so much of what we see in the world is it defines the kind of life we end up living. And so for me to see the world as this like living earth and for, for me to learn about the living systems of the rainforest was almost the way I discovered that I could understand, you know, I could understand something about the earth and and my place in it. So yeah, so I would say that that's partly where the passion came from. And then I, you know, one thing leads to another. I think we meet mentors uh, along the way. I quickly met several Men- Some of people who became my mentors in college, uh, one was Lois Gibbs, who was the hero of Love Canal, who was a mother who had organized her community to stop the worst worst toxic waste dump in america and she it's a very famous case, and I got to meet her at the age of seventeen, and she really inspired me. I also got to meet um, an economist at, on campus at University of Akron who later became my colleague and roommate. She was, you know, she really taught me a lot about the edge of thought in terms of like quantum physics and the Tao of physics and the books by Fritjof Capra about systems thinking and alternative economies and so really she inspired me in a great way and she was at my uh, she was an economics professor at the University of Akron so those early mentors also really helped to um, guide provide guidance and coherence. Um, about you know who i was and what i was meant to do in the world
1: and you founded amazon watch T- tell us about the founding
0: well um so i would always you could say it found me <laughs> i was um so i'd already been so between nineteen eighty two when i started college and nineteen uh ninety which when i moved to california after graduated from college i was um, doing work in public policy and energy policy, water policy, conservation, resource management. That was my professional work, but I was having dreams and having, uh, doing activism on the side and having dreams about the Amazon and working in the rainforest. And so the rainforest became kind of a little bit of an obsession for me. So people who knew me, they just wouldn't, basically would not escape me talking about the importance of this place and how it was being destroyed. Finally, in 1990, I decided uh, I wanted to take a plunge. Actually, a friend of mine, another mentor uh, from the water, California water issues where I was working, uh, I I moved to California and started working with the city of Santa Monica in water conservation and doing water conservation programs and policies and changing building codes and really a huge program that um, I inherited at a very young age, in my early 20s. Um, And that was really exciting. I was learning the practical skills of program implementation and public relations and public policy. And, um, but on the side, I was, you know, having these dreams about being in the rainforest and literally these recurring dreams that I was in the Amazon. And, and at this time, you know, it, um, 1990, a friend of mine, drove me to the Rainforest Action Network. We were in San Francisco for a meeting. And he said, you know, get in the car. We have a couple hours off. I want to show you something. So I got in the car. He wouldn't tell me where we're going. Drove across to uh, the uh, East Bay, from East Bay to San Francisco, went to the office of Rainforest Action Network. He opened the door and he said, okay, we really love you. You're, You're an amazing person, but we're really kind of sick of you talking about the rainforest all these years. And we think you should do something about it. So I called up the Rainforest Action Network and got the a, a director to agree to meet with you. So go in there and tell them you can't stop talking about the rainforest and this is what you want to do with your life. And so I did. And uh, that was a, another turning point where um, I was empowered to start a volunteer rainforest action group and to help lead campaigns, which I did as a volunteer on the side for several years until the Rainforest Action Network saw the value of my skill sets and what I was bringing, uh, organizing in Los Angeles, organizing celebrities and Hollywood people and raising money and uh, getting media attention and putting pressure on companies that we were targeting to, uh, that were involved in Rainforest Destruction, that they decided to hire me. And so literally I ended up, but it was a big leap because I had the city job, I had really good benefits. I was in a really young age, I was already making way more earning so much like three or four times the amount I would have made in the um, nonprofit sector and i didn 't even really have a guaranteed job. I just had a the director of Action Network said to me, "We can hire you for three months uh, for twenty hours a week uh, for thirteen dollars an hour." <laughs> But, you know, maybe this will turn into something bigger. We'll give you this opening and then you can see where you can take it. And so I leaped um, and did did this, um, you know, this complete leap um, to to this position, this really part-time position out of a completely secure public service job that was guaranteed with benefits and a huge amount of, uh, you know... uh, influence as well and was loving it as well. But this was my dream moment. So I jumped and I took the leap of faith into the void and then started working for Rainforest Action Network full time. And then six years later I felt like the Rainforest Action Network was doing great work, but I wanted to get closer to the ground and the Amazon I was working about uh, on Rainforest issues all over the world, but it was a desk job and I really wanted to get into the field and work directly on the Amazon. And so I started Amazon Watch, and it was a—it wasn't something that I like set out to start a new organization. I just wanted to work on the Amazon, and I was sort of starting to feel like I needed to move from Rainforest Action Network because I couldn't make space for this Amazon project. And one day, I—it's kind of a long story, but I'll make it really short. I was invited to an event with the president of Brazil in 1996. He was getting an award at Stanford, but. I had just um, done all this research showing how he his policies were really detrimental to human rights, indigenous rights, and of course, the forest future of the Amazon. He had announced this big plan. It had been written up in Time magazine, and he it was election year, so he was at Stanford getting an award with a plane full of journalists. And he'd invited Rainforest Action Network to come and given us front row seats because I know that council had had, and we were. Um, obligated to go, but I felt like I couldn't go and just sit there and not do, take action. And after all, Rainforest Action Network is all about the action, but it just didn't seem like it was going to work for Rainforest Action Network to do an action during that big moment for the president of Brazil. So I went, uh, got a bullhorn, went, listened to the talk, actually couldn't take the bullhorn inside the auditorium, then waited for the, you know, the, talked to and ran outside got the bullhorn ran outside and where i noticed there was a bank of cameras like 30 or 40 journalists lined up with cameras a plain load of journalists from brazil had come to cover this big award ceremony for the president who was up for reelection and i uh, stood up on top of this little ledge where the, um, and took out my bullhorn and started you know speaking to him as he was walking past the you know line of journalists on his way to his limousine and um, he actually stopped for a few seconds and looked at me where I was saying, you know, here's what you said, here's what you're doing. And and then he looked at me long enough for, for the media to capture the shot of me face-to-face with the president of Brazil with the bullhorn. And then he got in his limousine and drove away, leaving me with a impromptu press conference, which I didn't have even a press release for. I just, it was a total and spontaneous action. And then he said to me, I mean, the media asked me, the media said, so... What is this about? And who are you with? And I was passing frantically the copy of the Time magazine article, and when they said, "Who are you with?" I I realized I can't say Rainforest Action Network, so I took a deep breath and I said, "Amazon Watch." I just made it up, and the next day was pretty much the um, you know many cover story of many newspapers, local and and global, and and then my friends at the Rainforest Action Network said, "Well." well now you've done it you've started amazon watch so so then i went ahead and started amazon watch in 1996 with support from many organizations including uh rainforest action network and greenpeace and others and um here we are 23 years later um one of the leading voices in the amazon working with indigenous peoples
1: it's um it's quite a story um you know a story i've never heard before it's um there's, I have to just say that there's, there, it feels like there's something almost spiritual about all of this. It <laughs> I, is. <laughs> I feel like, um, like I'm, I just wrote even a couple of notes I've been listening to, like these, these misty mountains of, in the north of Iran and that guardian angel who sort of brought you in the car and, 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 and brought you to this meeting, You know, sort of like transitioned you from where you were to where you need to be sort of like these dreams that you were having, this crazy serendipitous event and moment w- where you happened to be there with the president. There's a lot of like, I don't know how to even describe it. I guess spiritual is the word I have, but I don't know what, what you think about all that.
0: Well, it's, you know, I totally see it too. I mean, I feel like, um, you know, back to the theory of Gaia, if the earth is an intelligent living you know, body of this living earth, and we are cells in that living body, and we, there is literally some uh, function and purpose to cells. So cells serve the organism, and some of us are hearing that that call, and some of us aren't. We're all being asked to serve the larger um, life, life, you know, conditions conducive for life. Our our role as humans on this earth is to continue to perpetuate, uh, be good ancestors to life to all of life, not just human life. And I think I saw that, I felt that, and I think I've been called to that. And maybe there's a, you know, I have this like story I tell myself that the Amazon rainforest sends out a frequency just like a radio station would. And I happen to tune into that frequency and, and um, you know, be guided by it. And so um, I, I, I totally appreciate that too, that you see that spiritual element because of, ultimately, Ultimately, I think that when we connect with something greater than ourselves, uh, we find meaning, and that ultimately, we life is life is about finding meaning and purpose and our place. And so, I feel like that's been my path. One of the I tell you a story about fifteen years. Amazon Watch was celebrating its fifteenth anniversary in Los Angeles at, uh, uh, back in two thousand ten, and I had invited one of my close indigenous partners from Colombia, an elder named Berito Covarua, who's a UWA leader from Northeastern Colombia. It's not even in the Amazon, but when we started Amazon Watch, uh, the first indigenous people who called out for our support were, were the UWA, and we um, supported them in a seven year battle to stop Occidental petroleum. Uh, from drilling for oil on their territory. And we became very close and we continue to be allies and supporters of the UWA. And um, we invited him to come speak at our our party on our 15th anniversary. He said, uh, and I was translating, he said, "Um, Atosa thinks she created Amazon Watch. And I'm like, where is he going with this? And he's like, she did not create Amazon Watch. Amazon Watch was born out of the vision of our elders and medicine people who were calling for the formation of of you know organizations and entities that defend life and to defend the web of life and she you know this was a this was a dream and a prayer of our elders and our medicine people she just happened to receive it
1: <laughs> i was like you were, you were the chosen one
0: I was well there're many I mean there's many they're calling all of us and I think it's a question of those who're tuned in you know are we tuning into that frequency and you know I had a lot of trepidations when I started Amazon watch I was like I had a lot of fear like what am I doing as a Iranian immigrant who barely speaks Spanish and Portuguese and who has never lived in the rainforest and who you know, what, what agency do I have? Like, what, what, who am I to think that I can really make this difference? And, um, and I sat with it for a long time. I meditated and reflected on this question for a long time because it was going to be, I knew it was going to be another 10 or 20 years of my life or maybe the rest of my life. And so I really wanted to know that I was, you know, the right person or, or I could have something to offer and I, I wasn't getting myself into something impossible and the answer that came in my my meditations was that those of us who are hearing it, hearing the call, those of us who are receiving the, the, the transmissions need to act, not from a place that we're going to save the world, but from a place that we just do our part. And the vision that came to me was almost like a domino. Like if I fall, it's not not necessarily the right metaphor I don't want to fall, but if I take You know, if I topple something, then it will have a you know ripple effect, and that we cannot know the power of the action. We just, if we're feeling called to it and we're feeling driven in service of of something greater, um, we just take the step, and the universe will actually meet us. Uh, The web of life is, you know, will meet us. conspired to meet us. And so that's been kind of the path. And I think the other thing is that we in the West learn a lot from young age, you know, this, this motto of make it happen. The idea that we're like driving change as a, as a way of making things happen, you know, our mindset of driving change or dominating change or dominating things is very much The way that we're taught, success comes from that perseverance and making stuff happen. And I, um, you know, a student, and I've been, you know, more and more a student of this idea of the way, the Tao, this idea of nature's way, and that is actually, you know, in embedded in systems science, systems thinking, and which is basically saying that we start with just a lot of uh, humble observation. And we scan the horizon, and we wait for the right action, and then it's spontaneously often something, you know, we continue to be ready for it and, and work towards our vision, but we don't push towards our vision. We allow it to emerge. And then we ride in a way, like if you think about a metaphor, you could think of a wave in the ocean, you know, you're riding the wave. And the wave comes, and then you rewrite it. And you don't—you can't stop the wave. You can't swim against the wave, and you can't predict the wave. You just ride it when it comes. And that metaphor for how we, you know we stay ready to and present to the moment and to our passion and purpose, and wait for those opportunities, and then ride them. And then at a certain time, you think, okay, I'm—I'm—you know, and I start, 18 years later, I thought, well, I'm really ready to let go of running an organization and being the executive director, but I'm not done with the learning and the purpose of protecting the forest and serving the web of life. So, and I stayed in this again, I took a total I'll leap into darkness with no pay, no consultancy, nothing, just kind of just, you know, no income to speak of, just kind of took a step off being the ED and waited for what else is there. And the conversations that we started having with Indigenous peoples, with the organizations like Amazon Watch and Pachamama, led to the creation of an alliance to protect the headwaters, the most um, amazing, biodiverse part of the Amazon rainforest. And that's kind of generated into a, a new role for me, which is really building this alliance and helping to direct the strategy for how we protect the headwaters of the Amazon.
1: Such an interesting story and and you know we're we're nearing the end here and i I just want to ask you one last question um and it, and I have to say it's another image or metaphor you know as you were talking about the wave, which is a it's a great way of thinking about it, sort of the lack of control maybe that we have, but the opportunity that we can still seek uh, if we if we notice if we watch i i I was thinking about that idea that you had about how you were tuned in to. You know the frequency of your calling. You know that there's, and I, I had this image in my head of, you know, what what advice would, would would you give to um to to college students and young professionals, many of whom want a sense of calling, at least a meaning and purpose in their work and in their lives, but you know they, they don't necessarily hear, they're not tuned in. You know, I, I the the image that popped into my head was like a New Yorker cartoon of 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 all these all these. These, these callings coming down from, from the heavens of all these potential amazing ways that people could be called, but everyone in the picture is sort of head down looking at their cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't notice it. They don't hear it. They're not attuned to it. And that is just an image that popped into my head. But you know, what advice would you give someone about, just, about discovering a, a purpose and meaning in, the, in, their, in their professional lives?
0: Well, you know, this is this is the big this is a big story I'm trying to tell, which is the larger story is this story of life, you know, becoming a student of life, a student of the natural world, of which we are a part of. I mean, we we have such a understanding that we are separate from nature, that we are man, and then there's, you know, parks and nature, and we're not nature, but we're actually, you know, modern science is telling us that we are actually a continuum. Nature is a continuum, all the way from the cells and the atoms in our bodies, all the way to the biosphere. is one continuum. Fractal patterns of living systems that are nested in each other, and are in symbiosis, and in in harmony, in community, in uh, connection, and constantly co-resonating and co-evolving. Even within our human body, there's, you know, something like a hundred non-human cells to every human cell. Somewhere between fifty and a hundred percent other non-human cells. We're we're bi- probiotics and living organisms that make our existence possible. So we are also an ecosystem, and then we're nested in a bigger ecosystem. And that, you know, when I think about this, uh, this idea of how humans think with our minds, we can solve all of the world's problems. And I look at, you know, when I look at um, nature has all of the answers and that we are nature. So those answers are also in us. And that if we look to nature for guidance, how does nature distribute goods and, and nutrients? And how does nature, um, you know, cooperate and communicate and co-evolve and flourish and grow and become more complex and more adaptive and more resilient, those are philosophically speaking and metaphorically speaking and scientifically speaking the the teachings that we need to learn. To not have an educational system that gives people ecological literacy, by the time you graduate from high school or college, you should know the lessons of how living systems work and how those lessons apply to your, whether you're you know, creating goods and services, or you're creating a marketing plan, or you're developing your medicine, uh, you know, career medicine, how do those lessons from nature influence and inform um, the way we do our daily work? And so I think that's where I would say, I would point to, to advise people to, to be a student of nature, see nature as your teacher, look for metaphors in everything you do as something that nature's already got an elegant solution for and that you can learn from. And that ultimately we know through science that serving the greater whole uh, and connecting in communities that serve life um, enriches our lives. And staying inspired, I would say stay inspired. What inspires you? Feed that inspiration. Feed what inspires you. And seek, for, seek mentors and never stop learning. I mean, I feel like most of the learning I did in college were not in my former classes. Most of the learning I did in college and since have been through meeting incredible people who are at the edge of this this um, discovering the secrets and mysteries of the earth, like off Capra with The Web of Life and people like you know David Corton who wrote Change the Story, Change the Future, or Charles Eisenstein, who writes about the climate story and many other, the sacred economics, and folks like that who have just, um, just take a few minutes to say that one of the greatest things about my life in the last 25, 30 years has been being close to and learning from Indigenous peoples and well elders and wisdom keepers Um, And everyday communities, when you're in the forest living with indigenous peoples, and also I travel a lot around the world where indigenous leaders come, we learn from them not only how to, we learn from them how to see the world. We're here to be good ancestors, and we, all of life has always been in reciprocity, so humans in reciprocity, that means we give more than we take and that's just the ethics of being alive and a good ancestor and that's what we have to teach our kids and so i think that that's it's almost like original instructions for how to live in harmony with each other and with the earth and that comes from indigenous wisdom and i think it's available to us it's incredibly available to us and it's life-changing when we we surrender to that wisdom
1: and i think that's a The wise message and a a great place to to end on. Um, and and, and if people want to learn more about what you do, is there a place we can send them?
0: Sure. I would say send them to sacredheadwaters.org and also Amazonwatch.org. And
1: And I'll social media. And we'll include those links in the in the show notes and I I wanted to thank you so much. Uh, You've you've caused me to think a lot uh, today. And and I know that people uh, listening uh, will have a similar uh, impact. So um, thank thank you again.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for listening to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom. If you're interested in learning more about the work that I do and helping people step outside their comfort zones and transition successfully into the professional world, please visit my website, www.andymolinsky.com. That's A-N-D-Y-M-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. And also feel free to email me directly at Andy. At AndyMalinsky.com with any feedback or ideas for guests for future podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Brandeis University's International Business School. By teaching rigorous business, finance, and economics, connecting students to best practices, and immersing them in international experiences, Brandeis International Business School prepares exceptional individuals from around the globe to become principled professionals in companies and public institutions worldwide.